You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. And in today's episode, we'll be looking ahead to Friday's trip to Nottingham Forest, a big game for Fulham. Our only game for around a month, so we might as well make uh, the most of it. Uh, We'll react to Fulham's game on Saturday, all the games on Saturday being postponed. Plus, there's just lots of little bits of Fulham news to get into. International call-ups, players leaving. Got a couple of questions at the end, and then this will catch on. And it is the regular Thursday club today of Peter Rutzler. Hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, Jack. How are we both? Are we well? Good, thank you. And Jack Collins, hello. Hello, how are we? All good. Yes, everything is well. Can I complain? It's nice to be back recording with you. Yeah, indeed. And uh, we have some football to look forward to uh, this weekend. Obviously, on last week's pod, we didn't know what the events that would happen uh, the very next day. Um, everything caused by surprise last week. Obviously, there was Thomas Tuchel's po- uh, sacking live on the podcast. And then obviously, uh, the death of Queen Elizabeth, which meant that Saturday's game against Chelsea was postponed. Uh, all Premier League, all EFL matches over the weekend were postponed as well. It very much wasn't just Fulham. Um, Peter... I think we'll go into maybe to like the question of should it have been postponed in a second? But I think the one clear thing for me is that the postponement of the football at the weekend from a Fulham perspective, definitely I think has not done us a huge amount of favours from a team perspective. Tuchel Potter aside, it was probably a good time to face Chelsea. And also for the fact that we would have had two days extra rest than Forest because they were due to play on the Monday against Leeds, it would have helped us for, for this Friday. So all in all, probably a slightly uh, negative effect um, on where we could have been going into this weekend. But hey, we'll play Chelsea later this year and uh, we'll find out how much of an impact it has then. Yeah, li- listen, just if you take the context of everything that's happened away and focus solely on on the football. Yeah, it was a great opportunity to play Chelsea. You know, we talked about how awful Fulham's record is against uh against the team down the Fulham Road and um and considering just how uncomfortable things had been at Stamford Bridge, the fact that they changed their manager, um, all of that state of flux. And you factor in how good Fulham's start has been, it feels like a really good time or it felt like a really good time to to play Chelsea and try and right some of the wrongs of the of the wretched record but um and yeah I think I think you're right I think the 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 time gap difference between what Forest have for the game on Friday and and what Fulham potentially would have had uh is significant a couple of days that that does make quite a difference I suppose if you if you flip it around you could point to the fact that Jao Palinha now won't get a fifth booking or a potential fifth booking, which he could have picked up against Chelsea, which would have led to him potentially missing the Forest game. Um, and then the other the other factor, of course, is about left back. Um, obviously, we'll talk a bit more about Anthony Robinson and, and, and where he's at later in the pod. But um, with him injured um, and leaving Kazawa not fit, um, it actually may give Kazawa a bit of time to get up to speed where that position may have been an issue for Chelsea. So... Um, yeah, so overall, you know, for I'm sure I'm sure Marco Silva and, and and the team would have wanted to to keep that momentum going to to go into Chelsea and, and to get a really positive result, but um, you know, it wasn't to be, and and, and now all all eyes on on Forest. I mean, Jack, the postponements of the games has been a massive topic in the last week, yeah. um, partially because I think sports papers and. Uh, <laughs> radio stations haven't had a lot else to discuss because there's been obviously there was no sports i mean look 
mark of respect and all of that. And I think postponing the games on the Friday immediately after the news seemed like the sensible thing to do. I think the debate has been around whether certain clubs, we know which clubs probably everyone is thinking about would have respected the minute silence, but a minute's silence slash a rendition of God Save the King at Craven Cottage would have been a hell of a moment, especially as we'd have been the kind of first game of the weekend. Um, I mean, we know that at Craven Cottage, it would have been impeccably observed. And so there's a bit of a shame in in that, in that respect that, that football didn't get an opportunity like we saw in rugby, like we saw in cricket to actually kind of celebrate the Queen's life rather than kind of now. Well, I imagine there'll be some sort of tribute against Forrest, but maybe not quite as in the moment as it could have been on Saturday. And also I think Craven Cottage would have done it justice. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. My kind of view on on the fact that I, I didn't think there should have been postponements was I thought that it gave people an opportunity to to do things in their own way and and, and to be able to mark uh, the the passing of a much loved, long serving, and well respected monarch with a period of you know yes, silence to, to commemorate a, a life loss, but also you know a coming together in in kind of uh, commemoration and, and and allowing people to to kind of show their respects in in the way that the many did across sport at the weekend and and so this was the the kicker for me the fact that you know other games weren't cancelled in, in in other sports that I went down to London Irish on on Saturday instead as as kind of when when Fulham wasn't there and and a minute silence was impeccably observed as as you might imagine and everyone was everyone was incredibly you know moved by it i think is probably the, the easy way to put things and, and and ultimately i think forcing people to do things in a certain way is is probably not the not the right thing to do people you know some people are going to mourn some people are not that that's fine that's that's how things are but it's also about respect and i think that if you'd given people the opportunity to be able to show that at football and get let football give its uh, send off you know the premier league is is the uk's greatest export Let's be honest. It's the thing around the world that touches most people most most weeks. is It's a genuine global bear moth, and to allow you know people to to show their respect via those kind of moments of silence, but also the armbands and and the fact that you'd imagine crowds would have kind of not played to the occasion. That's not the that's not the right term, but but risen to the occasion perhaps. Yeah. Um, I think would have been an opportunity to showcase that to the world, and I think that's a missed opportunity. And and given that other sports went ahead, I think it felt very much like okay, we'll let the you know the the sports more traditionally associated with the upper classes of rugby and cricket go ahead and take the working but take the working man's game away from them because you know, they can't be trusted. And I felt like there was a kind of element of, I don't know, it just felt a bit wrong from, from where I was standing. But equally, I appreciate that there are arguments in other cases. I, I agree with Jack. Um, I think I think I said this at the time, you know, I, as, as Jack just outlined, it's it feels like a missed opportunity in, in that sense. Um, I feel like also there are a couple of other things with it. You know, this is one of the most planned events there is in this country, uh, most anticipated things. And I think the fact that there wasn't necessarily seemingly a set guidance and they had to wait for, for government guidance for this to, to make a decision, it just felt a bit that there wasn't the foresight. You know, you look at what's going on in London at the moment in terms of the planning and policing and everything like that. It's, this has been long foreseen. Um, so that in that sense, it was uh, it's, a, it's disappointing. I, I, I do sympathise a little bit with, with the Premier League in terms of, and, and the FA to an extent, although I don't understand why all football right down to grassroots was told not to go ahead. That made absolutely no sense to me yeah, whatsoever. I agree on that. Um, Especially when Eton went and played anyway. Well, it, yeah. One rule uh, for one and one rule for another. Um, but in, in, in terms of um, the situation football was in, and I mean, the guidance from the government wasn't you shouldn't go ahead. It was actually the opposite. Um and I suppose if you're football, and, and Jack, you kind of touched on it a little bit. If football goes ahead and the other sports don't, you know, it's gonna they're gonna get absolutely panned. And I think football football's reception in in certain elements of the media here is probably a bit different to to other sports, and will probably come under a bit more of a spotlight. So, I it's a very it's a difficult scenario. I don't think they should have postponed the games because you know e- even on a practical level, you know, a lot of the clubs didn't, um, you know weren't able to then pay their casual staff. Uh, there was a lot of food that, you know, potentially could have gone to waste, obviously with Fulham 
they I, I was told that they did they would honor the the cost for their casual staff and and the food went to city harvest which is really really good yeah um but that is just a scenario that didn't necessarily need to happen and i think you know it's obviously a missed opportunity on the one hand but on the other it's it's just a little bit of panic maybe a bit of worry about PR and we've seen that with other companies. I mean, we've seen the stuff with, with Centre Parks this week. And for those who don't know, it's they're going to cancel all their bookings. I think on Bank Holiday Monday for guests who are already staying, and I think they've U-turned now, and it's all a bit of a mess. So you can see how people are sort of getting a bit het up about the whole thing. Um, the only the only reason really for me for for football to not have gone ahead is policing and security. You know, and and we're seeing that now with this weekend, and it does mean that. Back-to-back weekends will have postponements. Again, that's a problem, especially for the schedule. I mean, sure, the schedule is not really important in the grand context of things because you know it's a, it's an important event, um, you know, in the, in the story of this country. But it's <laughs> the, where they're going to play these games now is uh, a real a real dilemma um, because the, especially for the clubs competing on multiple fronts, they're gridlocked right through till through till May. Yeah. So um, you know. If there was a policing issue, and certainly in London, which we're, which you know, which is anticipated for the, for the weekend, then I could understand it. But the fact that there, it doesn't seem to be that that was the case, and it was more to do with the mark of respect, then I think there were other ways to 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 show to show respect. I think. Yeah, uh, and that schedule is utterly crazy. Um, I think there is potentially a gap that um, could be utilised. I think on the sixteenth of January. I, I think it just it's kind of mid January that the. But it means we play game. Chelsea twice in two weeks. That's, I think we would be playing amusing. them twice, pretty close in succession. I think I thought at first that actually we might play them back to back, like some sort of old school double header. Um, but I don't think that actually works out with the dates. For Do the it on Carabao the same day, Cup. one in the one in the morning, and then walk down the road. Double header, <laughs> two sixty minute matches. Just turn round, just um, change ends, and uh, yeah. Have, to be fair, I, Fulham and Chelsea are close enough that you could do a double header and just have the players walk from one ground to the other. I'd love to see it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it seems pretty inevitable that things like FA Cup replays will will now be scrapped because I don't see any other way. With the, the t- teams in Europe, the schedule that they have is basically they play Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, right until the World Cup. And if any of those teams reach the Carabao Cup semi-finals, then that kind of run of midweeks and Saturdays continues right into uh, January, February. Um, I was obviously annoyed when we went out the Carabao Cup and now I look at it and wonder, well, you know, might might just be a, a, a helpful thing from uh, Fulham's um, schedule. For what, it's worth, for what it's worth, scrapping FA Club replays is, I, I find incredibly sad because in so many ways that's, you know, a lifeline for for clubs lower down the pyramid, if they you know can scrap a draw away for, against a bigger club and take the gate attendances uh, on a replay, that's a massive financial bonus. So there needs to be a way of looking around that. I, I do think that a lot of teams higher up will donate if the, you know their gate receipts to you know the other side if if that happens to be the case. But it's, it's just worth pointing that out that that comes at a financial cost to to clubs who need that money to to survive at this point. And, and I think that's sad. Obviously, with with the bigger clubs as well, you get more revenues. A twenty five man squad, you're going to have we talk about them having more depth and how the five subs benefit them in these kind of scenarios. You should try and use that squad a little bit more, I think personally in, in this situation and they'll have to inevitably because the schedule is ridiculous. But at the same time, if you're competing and able to go as far in these competitions, you, you get the resources to do it from, from the rewards. So use it in your 25 man squad. Mm. I think the one for me that always feels ridiculous is the double legged, Carabao Cup semi-final just make that one leg just come on neutral venue it stick it at Villa Park we really really doesn't need two legs I mean I'd love to get there one day and obviously it'd be fun if we ever did but um yeah it does seem a a little bit ridiculous um let's move on then from the postponements and Peter uh you put an article out in The Athletic which you can read now if you subscribe to The Athletic doing a deal right now one pound a month uh for six months if you uh if you join um and it's looking at Fulham's uh start to the Premier League and I kind of had thought this, but I hadn't seen the stats to back it up about how Fulham's start of the season statistically 
is one of the toughest that anyone has faced. And given the fact that we are nicely comfortable mid-table with our couple of wins, couple of draws, um, is a really good sign when you realise um, that actually we were dealt a pretty tough hand uh, in, in these opening few weeks of the season. So um, yeah, I thought I'd give you a chance just to explain uh, a little bit about the article and, and how it works. Because there's a couple of different measures of how tough a um, season is. It's um, There's a couple of different ways that you can rank it yeah so on, on a basic level obviously Fulham start has seen them play five of the top eight of this very early Premier League season top eight and I think it was Tristan Pottericic on Twitter who did the first sort of maths around it based on the average position of the opponents each team had faced um, and when you actually do the numbers for both this season and last season you know dropping in Fulham Forest and Bournemouth the 18th 19th and 20th um, it comes out that Fulham have had one of the toughest starts. I think, for uh, based on the you know the positions of the opponents Fulham have faced this year after six games, this is of course only Leicester have had a tougher start, and then from based on last year, it's Fulham have the have the toughest. You know the the games that they faced of Liverpool, Wolves, Brentford, Arsenal, Brighton, Tottenham, um, all very difficult games. Um, and in the piece, to take it further and use. 538 SPI rank, uh, ratings, which assess the overall strength of a given side, you know, using loads of historical data where the teams have finished historically, obviously last year being the most important. Um, and then also adding in um, the, the market value of the current squad to work in the transfer market. For instance, that sees Bournemouth go from 20th, go from 19th to 20th and Forest vice versa because of how they approach the market. Um, and when you factor that in, only Crystal Palace have had a tougher start or have faced tougher opponents, uh, at least based on SPI ratings than, than Fulham. So that's obviously it's been very encouraging. And we talked about how it's been better than Fulham's previous two attempts in more recent years. Um, but also that added layer that they've done, they've had a good start, but also just also while facing some of the toughest teams in the division. And where this naturally leads, of course, is to what comes next, which is October or Forest and then October, um, which looks absolutely decisive. You know, there are teams here who have very low SPI rate ratings, which means they're anticipated to be weaker sides this year. Leeds, Everton, Forest, Bournemouth, um, all coming up. So um, it's now about taking that good start and, and making it count, really, because, of course, two years ago, Fulham had a terrible start and that came against the teams that they probably wanted to pick up points against. Um, and then they started to perform better, but they were facing tougher opponents and didn't take anywhere near as many points, but probably what they'd probably be expected to, to take. Um, so we got the vice versa here and it's now just about making it count. So uh, yeah, just going into the numbers a bit, um, inspired a bit by, by Tristan's work. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed um, the article, Peter. And um, I think it just confirms what we, what we kind of knew, but also... Um, I think what's also interesting was when you look at the fixtures coming up and we've been so worried about some of these more intense fixtures that, that we had. We knew we had this run of um, Brighton, um, Chelsea, which got postponed and uh, Spurs um, sandwiched in the middle. But when you now look at the run coming up, Jack, it's such an opportunity now, isn't it, for Fulham to kick on its Forest away, then Newcastle is not, is not an easy game by any stretch of the imagination. No, but the cottage um, has been a fortress so far, and that's yeah, important, um, right? West West Ham, they've got a European game on the Thursday beforehand, away from home as well, which is a massive advantage for us. Bournemouth, um, uh, Leeds, Villa, Everton in there. This is a massive month now for, for Fulham to kick on. Yeah, I, I think about it sometimes in sort of like FPL terms, right? If you'd imagine, you know, when you get a player and it shows the difficulty of their fixtures, like Fulham have been through the red bit and now we've got a green bit where it's like, okay, these are the ones that you want. These are the games that on paper you're supposed to take advantage of. Now we know that football doesn't work like that. And, you know, there are going to be stumbles. There are going to be blips. It's not going to be as plain sailing as, as we'd maybe hope it might be. But equally, yeah. there's an opportunity and, and we have to take advantage of that. And look, if, you can, if we can get... You know, how many games are we talking about here? Eight, seven, seven games? Forest, Newcastle, West Ham, Bournemouth, Villa, Leeds, Everton between here and the end of October. You're looking at that that seven kind of game run and you're thinking if you can take 14, 13, 15-ish points out of that run, Ooh. 
Fulham, you know, we're going to be in a very, very strong position considering our start. You know, that would be putting us in mid in the mid twenties on the in the points tally at the end of October. We, you know, and we've talked about already on here, and I've said, you know, time and time again, if we can stay above a point a game, I think we'll stay up. And and ultimately, that's you know, this is an opportunity to get a little bit of a fast forward because naturally, as as you come out of the you know the end of a, a run that looks easier on paper you're going to get a run that's more difficult again. That's, you know, the the ups and downs of the league and the kind of waves that it comes in sometimes. Whereas, you know, if, if you, but you get yourself in those positions and, you know, we talked about this loads, you're not playing catch up. You're not playing, you know, trying to catch the, the coattails of other teams and haul yourself out of things. If you can keep yourself at a distance, keep yourself at arm's length, it gives you a bit of wiggle room. We talked about, about you know, in regards to Brentford last year, they'd given themselves the wiggle room via a fast start that meant that when they had a slide, in the middle of the season, it didn't affect them completely. It didn't drag them right into the race. Yes, there were talk of could Brentford be sucked in, but it wasn't suddenly they're in the relegation zone and trying to claw themselves out of it. It was, okay, they're still skirting the edge of it and and, and they remained there and, and kept that buffer. And that's what Fulham have to look to emulate here. That kind of you know element of, okay, we've picked up some, some good points against teams we're expected to be, especially at home. And then you get that kind of, bit more of a, you know, how many times I said there are no free hits, but you get a bit more of a, okay, we can go out against a bigger team and try and play our game and try and impose ourselves on them rather than, okay, we have to eke out a draw here. We have to be looking to get points in games which are on paper more difficult. And I think that's a good thing for everyone because it frees you up to play your own game, which in turn, I think, increases the increases the likelihood of you taking points off sides because you're there with a little bit less fear. Um, and just uh, quickly, uh, uh, before we take a break, a few little bits of Fulham news that's uh, worth talking about. One of them from today, Peter, Luke Harris called up to the Wales squad, which uh, was a nice uh, little surprise uh, for me. Obviously, we saw a glimpse of him in that game uh, against Crawley and he's been um, banging them in, uh, in in the PL2 uh, for Fulham. Um, yeah, nice little boost. I don't know if this means he's going to go to the, World Cup, you'd imagine that he's probably just not really in time uh, for that. Obviously, that's a massive thing. Scores a couple of hat tricks in this international break, you might. (laughs) (laughs) You know, wow, what an opportunity for him at such a big time for for his country. Would anything be more Fulhamish than Luke Harris getting called up for a World Cup squad without having made an oblique appearance (laughs) for Fulham? Because I think that, that might be the peak. We might have to shut the podcast down. Yeah, no, it would. Um, But yeah, a a big step for, for Luke Harris. He's obviously very highly regarded in the Wales setup as he is at Fulham. I think he's played for the 17s. I think he captained the 17s. Um, he's played for the 19s. I'm not sure he's played for the 21s. I think he's gone straight, yeah, straight into the, the senior setup. Um, I think you're right, Sammy. I think it is just a case of him getting into that environment, almost showing him that he's, he's valued by Wales and then also seeing how he, how he copes at, in, in, at that level because you know, we talked about Harris and his goal scoring and we're just sort of waiting for him to step off the bench now and play in the Premier League. Obviously, he started against Crawley, which was his, his senior debut. But I mean, it's it's almost impossible to judge him on that game on the basis that it was one, he was playing in a position that wasn't natural to him. And two, the team performance was terrible. But we can all see that he's a really talented player, uh, a goal scoring midfielder, uh, just seems to have that knack for popping up in the right place to find the net. That hat-trick against Chelsea, I'm sure that has really helped his cause or at least certainly furthered that interest from, from Rob Page and, and Wales. And yeah, now it's now it's just a case of seeing what kind of involvement he'll get first team level at Fulham. I, I, you never know with these things. Maybe he'll he'll get on. Um, you know, Wales have given debuts to, to players young. I think even, you know, Harry Wilson's the obvious example. Obviously, he's not involved. He's still recovering from, from his knee injury. But, uh, you know, the, those kind of, moves are not uncommon in, in the Welsh setup and he, he seems like the type of player who just takes these things in his stride from what people say about him and uh, and how he's how he's progressed so far uh, but it, you forget how young he is you know he's, he's 17 you know he only, he's only recently turned 17 and it's been a bit of a whirlwind for him so if they can if he can keep his feet on the ground and just take these learning experiences step by step then um, it will serve him the, the world of good and you know hopefully we'll see him more regularly with the, with the in the senior team in terms of his development at Fulham, look, the, the talent's obviously there. The talent ID is, is clear here. If Wales are promoting him to the senior squad, if he's been training with Marcus Silva's senior squad, 
it's clear that everyone is aware of, of what Luke Harris brings to the table and everyone's aware that we have another special talent on our hands out of Motspur Park. The question then remains, what happens next in terms of Fulham? Because we've seen, you know, of late, these rumours swirling around of interest from one, those lot down the road, but also a couple of other clubs. Um, and Fulham haven't signed him to a senior deal yet. It does... It's, it's another one where you start to worry, isn't it? Because we've seen what happens in these scenarios before. And I'd imagine Fulham are keen not to make the same mistake again. Yeah, inevitably, you know, it's, it's especially with Fabio Carvalho's exit being so raw um, and, the, you know, the history of, of losing these really good players. Um, you know, he's, he's on a scholarship at the moment. Um, from what I understand it, it's not an impending worry. It's not something that's going to happen immediately. It's not something that they fear will happen straight away Fulham have got a decent position as it stands um of course they'll want to get him down on a on a pro deal as, as soon as possible because it strengthens their hand again um as I was saying before he's still quite young um that also limits the length of a contract they can give him so in a sense right now it's not you know oh my god panic stations um but of course the longer it drags on the you know the more there is and there will be interest in him you know as you said talent ID <laughs> Everyone can see how good he is. You know, there was a report about Chelsea being interested, I think, last month. Um, I mean, everyone's looking at Luke Harris. Everyone knows who he is. Everyone can see his goal-scoring record. Um, and I think right now it's important that he's, one, he's in that Fulham senior setup. that also he's given an opportunity and he can, can see a pathway because fundamentally that's, as a player, you want to see the, how you can progress. Um, and, you know, so far it seems like Fulham are doing it as, a decent pace, I think. They don't, they're not throwing him in too early by the looks of it. You know, he's he's still like this is, he's still seventeen. So um, finding that right moment, getting him into that team, showing he's part of the senior setup, and that that'll be important going forward. But um, as you say, he's a really talented young kid, and um, hopefully, as long as everything continues to go at the right pace with his development, because we always see players who come and then go, don't quite hit the heights then he could reach his potential and hopefully that'll be at Fulham. Interesting as well that he has elected to represent Wales. I've tried to do a bit of Googling, but I can't see anything um, too obvious about it. I mean, he's represented Wales since under 17 and also represented the under 19. So he's pretty kind of embedded in the Welsh system, but he is from Jersey. He went to school in Jersey and uh, I mean, I generally think Jersey is something that falls into the English domain. So um, I think it's, I think it's unlikely he'll play for England. Okay. Like so, I've got um, a load of friends from Jersey <laughs> and uh, they, they very much consider themselves from Jersey and not from England. So um, I, I well, think good that's luck uh, playing in the World Cup for Jersey. Well, to be fair, Jersey are in the same, I'm pretty sure they're in the same league as Hamwell Town. So um, right. it's one of those. But look, mate, there's, there's, there's lots of opportunities. And I'd imagine if he's playing, for, playing for, for Wales, there's some sort of familial connection. So this might inflame some tensions, I think. But aren't Guernsey like, quite good? Like Guernsey, not Jersey. Like you know, they they sort of fly in and out. I can't, I can't remember what level yeah. they're. Hang on, maybe it's Guernsey that are in the same league as Hamwell Town. Yes, I think it is. Isn't that the one that Matt Latissier is um, yes. like part yeah. of? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, Guernsey, Guernsey are in the same league as Hamwell Town. Jersey or not? Yeah. Jersey Reds are in the same league as Ealing Trailfinders. So there's there's links all over the place here. I mean, Gibraltar now play in uh, international football. So if Gibraltar, and, and I think they're all right. Like so, if Gibraltar can make a a, a splash, then then maybe Jersey. They're definitely uh, not all right, but they 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 cope. They did beat Ireland once, so but I don't know if that means means much really. <laughs> no, it probably doesn't. Uh, and a couple of final bits of news: uh, two players, uh, the class of twenty nineteen, uh, have departed uh, these shores. Anthony Knockart has joined Greek Super League side Volos, whilst Ivan Cavalera has joined uh, Turkish side. Alania Spore, um, Jack, I guess Fulham had to find homes for them because they were not going to play uh, for, for Marco Silva this year. But um, yeah, it's a sign of the demise really, isn't it? Three years after joining uh, for an awful lot of money, um, here we are and we're shipping them out to basically anyone that will take them by, by this stage. Yeah, I mean, sad in, in many ways, you know, the, a little bit less so, I think, for, for Knockout, who's starting to come towards the twilight of his of his years. But this isn't a dreadful move for um, for Ivan Cavallero. Um, Alanya Spall were in the Europa League two years ago, if I'm not mistaken, um, and or at least in the qualifying stages for it. And the Super League's a bit of a madhouse, to be honest with you. There's plenty of players 
playing there in, in, in various points. And we're kind of looking at this, this season as, as being an int- a very, very interesting one right now in the Super League. They're mid-table. Um, they've had a, an okay start. So, you know, maybe he can make him push them on back into, into the European places. Um, now, obviously, it's going to be going to be tricky. There's lots of decent sides in Turkey. But this isn't, a you know, a tiny move by by all accounts. So I think it's it's pretty fair. Their stadium's quite small. They're, they're about 11,000, 12,000, <clears> I think. it's. Um, but Alanya seems like a very pretty city. It's, it's on a harbour. Um, I think it's I think it's known as something like uh, the Sunshine City or something, if I'm not mistaken, because I was looking at it in terms of holiday destinations not too long ago. Right. Um, it's meant to be a, a very, very beautiful place. So, you know, good luck to Ivan Cavalero. Maybe he can rediscover some of his best form. There's definitely a player in there. It just didn't quite, quite work for, you know, how things were. And he, he's going to be, you know, inextricably linked I think with that season of Scott Parker playing him as a nine but actually when he played on the wing especially in that first year at Fulham yes he's frustrating at times but he you know, scored some important goals for Fulham and and did some nice things as well so I mean good luck to him best of luck to him I, I really did like Ivan Cavalero I was going to mention about that season because the one thing you couldn't really fault with Cavalera was his application. And, you know, that was why he was playing in that role. That's why Scott Parker was using him was because of his pressing and his hard work. And he just just didn't have the, just didn't finish, you know, didn't finish very well. Um, and you could just see confidence just sort of going. Maybe he just needed a spell where he could build that confidence. But evidently Silver, Silver and his team had made the call early that neither him or Knockout were going to play a part. And, no, there's no point buttering it up. Those two are probably two of the poorest signings Fulham have made in the last few years. Um, just for the price it was, fee. right? For the, yeah. for the fees especially, you know, they've just, you know, Cavalera did play a role in, in the Premier League a couple of years back, but, um, you know, that not they they didn't fulfil, I think, what they were meant to achieve. I mean, obviously, they helped the team get promoted, so, you know, <laughs> within reason, of course. Um, but, you know, not 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 the best, not the best signings. And, um, yeah. We'll I would argue, and I don't know if this is a bit of a hot take, I think there are worse signings under the cards. Oh yeah, hundred percent, definitely well, than Cavalera. Worse than anyone in twenty eighteen. But bear in mind, the last few years is like the stand has been pretty good in terms of recruitment. Yeah. So you know, that's that's you know Cavalera and Knockout. Knockout probably lower than you know Cavalera's played a role. So I'm not I'm not going to criticize Cavalera as the same before, but. In terms I of think people would probably spent, say you know. probably a lot of people probably think Anguissa was our worst signing of the of the of the kind of recent Tony Khan era, and but, I would yeah. I would say by a mile that Knockart and and Cavalera were more damaging in terms of FFP and contributed a lot less and with no resale value at all. At least Anguissa, we got some money back. Jack. Anguissa was yeah. a good player. <laughs> yeah, Anguissa was Anguissa was an excellent player. He is literally <laughs> one of the star men in a Napoli side that absolutely battered Liverpool last week um, and on top of Serie A. He, he is a very 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 good footballer. He just didn't fit what Fulham were trying to do. And, you know, sometimes that, that's how it is. It's how sometimes that it doesn't work. He's, you know, I did see some chat about him coming back. He's not coming back. He's been sold. Um, so let's just, let's, <laughs> let's just clear that one up right now. Um, but yeah, look, it's, it's one of those. Uh, they, they, they haven't worked as, as transfers. I think it's important to note that when these transfers were signed, it was seen as uh, a move towards the kinds of signing players with experience in the league that they were in. And it's worth worth pointing out that you know so many players that we've seen succeed in the championship at championship level, you know the likes of Niskas Cabano, Floyd Ayite, etc., who played in these same positions as these two players, were successes having come from abroad, from 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 lesser known lights, from from different leagues. And the two players we brought in who had the experience in the division we were trying to get out of were two that haven't necessarily worked, and we paid over the odds for. And it's it is worth considering that at times. Well, best of luck to um, Knockart and to uh, Cavalero on their respective moves. I don't think we'll be seeing them uh, in the shirts of full and black and white, certainly not as long as Marco Silva's here. Um, but, you know, they tried their best. I don't think anyone can doubt that. So no. uh, Knockart gave us one of George Cooper's best ever songs. So um, yes. so that is maybe we can play it at the end of the pod as a, as, as a kind of tribute to Tony Knockart. We'll always have Stoke away. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. End of the pod. I'm up for that. Um, and finally, uh, on a much sadder note, just before we take a break, um, I want to just quickly say um, about the sad news. Rest in peace to former uh, Fulham left back, left half, uh, Fred Callahan. made th- 336 appearances for Fulham 
uh, between 1964 and 1974, was nicknamed The Tank. Um, obviously, I can't say I know an awful lot about him, given my age, but uh, he seemed like a, a wonderful chap as well as a wonderful footballer as well. Um, there's a really lovely tribute um, on the Fulhamish website at the moment. I know that Hammy End uh, have written something. There's also a really good article um, on his time as Brentford manager as well from our uh, friends uh, at the Sausage podcast. Um, that's, I know they that's, kind, us. that's kind. Oh, Billy's all right um, at uh, Besotted as well. So um, well worth um, checking out. And of course, uh, friend, uh, thoughts uh, with all his uh, friends and family at this time. Right, we'll take a break there. Afterwards, we're going to look ahead to Forest Away. Fulhamish is brought to you by Green King, your home of pub sport. They've got over 900 sports pubs across the country because Green King is where the fans go, showing every broadcast game for Fulham. So head down to your nearest pub and you can enjoy every live sporting event from BT and Sky Sports on tap. And if you download the Green King season ticket app, you can receive a free drink when you register and get 10% off a great range of drinks one hour before, during and after any match. So head to the app store and search season ticket to download the app. And when registering, if you use the promotion code Fulhamish, one word, capital letters, as a listener of this show, you'll get an additional £5 off when you spend £15 on drinks. So make sure you download the Green King season ticket app, use the code Fulhamish, that's all one word, capital letters, and you'll get an additional £5 off when you spend £15 on drinks. That's from Green King, is where the fans go, your home of pub sport. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, it is Sammy here with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. Let's look ahead to the football Friday night at the city ground, 8pm kickoff against our fellow promotees, Nottingham Forest, who came up via the playoffs. Uh, We have experience of playing them because, of course, we played them a couple of times last season. There is a bit of confusion. This game is not on the TV. This game has been moved because there is cricket. uh, There is a cricket final at Trent Bridge um, on the Saturday. So that's why this game is on Friday night. So if you're hoping to watch it regularly on the telly, uh, you will be disappointed. Uh, There is a different match. I think Villa are playing on Friday night. That's the TV game. So um, you'll have to find an alternative way of watching it if you uh, if you're if you're not going. However, for those of us who are going, Peter, uh, this is a huge opportunity for Fulham to notch up another win. Forest have signed everyone in the world. But it has not been a good start. They've got their one win against West Ham. I, I would, I would think anyone would be lying to say it was a deserved win. It was one of the uh, the, the Nottingham Forest goal li- lived a charmed life. Let's let's put it that way. Uh, and the defeat from two 0 up against Bournemouth in the last game week was was pretty cataclysmic, really, from from a Forest point of view. So yeah, how do you see this one going? I, I, as much as I like to think that Fulham should be favourites going into this, I just don't know what to bloody make of Nottingham Forest because the team we're going to witness um, has very little resemblance to the one that we saw only back in. April uh, when they came to the cottage and won deservedly. Yeah, I, I think in terms of how um, Steve Cooper's setting the team up tactically, they're still pretty similar. You know, they were promoted last season by playing transitional counter-attacking football and they were good at it with a back three, two up top. The personnel has obviously changed considerably. Obviously, this is a very big game, but I think it's a really big game for Cooper and a really big game for Forrest because of their results, because I think of the expectations following the recruitment they've made. To lose back-to-back games, back-to-back home games to Bournemouth and Fulham would be huge. Um, so I don't think they're going to underestimate the, the scale of the challenge. As you say, it's hard to know exactly what you're going to get because there's some good players that they've brought in there. Um, and it's just about whether they can get them to gel quickly enough. I watched the Tottenham game uh, where they lost 2-0. They played really well. They were just not good enough in both boxes. And I think that's probably been the story of their season so far to an extent, other than that West Ham win, which you know required the... They, yeah, well, they weren't good enough in, in their own box, but they weren't good enough. They were helped, of course, by, by the goal frame and, and Dean Henderson. Um, it's an interesting game how it's, how it's set up. And I think because of how much it means will mean to Forrest, it'll be, it's going to be a, a very tough evening for Fulham. You know, looking at how Forrest have sort of played, you know, they, they, they've created some chances. They're not the worst in terms of going forward. And, and you wouldn't expect them to be with Brennan Johnson and Jesse Lingard and Morgan Gibbs-White, who, you know, as much as we talked about the fee, is still a very good player. I think defensively is the problem. I think they've got the they've conceded the most XG of any team. So 
teams are creating high quality chances against them. Actually, it's Fulham who are second bottom for that, but that's not as surprising considering the opponents Fulham have faced, as we were talking about earlier in the podcast. There will be opportunities for Fulham to to hurt Forest. Their defence hasn't really changed that much from last season. They brought in the Akate, I think a player that I think a few Fulham fans were monitoring and wondering if he may end up at Craven Cottage. He's obviously injured now. So the, the defence is pretty familiar. And um, that's been their weakness, really. Um, you know, they've built in advanced areas, but not necessarily at the back. And with Alexander Mitrovic in the form that he's in, um, with Fulham having new attacking reinforcements who will be pushing to make their own marks, um, there'll be opportunities and I expect there'll be goals too. Um, but yeah, should be a good game. And Harry Wilson back in training, although I don't think it might come slightly too early for him. To, yeah, to I was pictured wasn't he? Um, very early for him. But yeah, yeah I think that it, picture he didn't have a bib on, which I think was, um, and everyone else did, which I think might have been telling of the kind of condition that, that he's in, but hugely encouraging news, but especially, you know, one thing I meant to mention in the Chelsea section is like, this is one game that isn't playing playing now. Fulham is, is significantly hampered by these two big injuries at the moment to, to Wilson and Solomon. And if there's another game that's pushed back to January, then hopefully we get our two star wingers back. Then that, that's encouraging. Um, Jack, Nottingham Forest. I'm getting this from transfer marked 22 signings yep. this summer, including a, a latest one since the uh, deadline, which was uh, right Serge back Aurier. Serge Aurier yeah. coming in. I mean, so much has been made of it. There's a lot of jokes, a lot of memes around, around Forrest's recruitment. And we have given them credit when we've talked about them saying that they had to make signings for a reason because they were a side made up of lots of loans um, and they lost a couple of players, obviously in, in, in summer people like um, uh, Brie Sombar, but still the level of the spending, the level of the investment has been astronomic. Yeah. And I, it's a big or tall order to fit them all in. And still I look at this defense and think, you know, without Neocarte in there, it does still look quite weak. Yeah, I mean, look, they also signed Loic Bardé, who's come in from France. Uh, they signed Julian Biancone as well, who's, who's quite highly regarded, um, only 22 years old. Um, he came in also from France, uh, from Troyes. Um, so there, there are players here who haven't quite made it into their starting 11 yet, who I think do improve it. And my, my big worry about this game is that Actually, the week and a half off the Forest have had, the ability to just have a kind of, okay, let's have a breather, let's reset, might just give Steve Cooper the opportunity to blood a few more of these signings into the into the mix. Now, that's not to say he's going to change everything. I had a question on Twitter the other week if at some point this season we might see a Forest side where nobody who played for them last season would be in the starting eleven, which I think is intrinsically possible um, given given the fact that they've signed 22 players but also given the fact um, that a lot of these players are high quality and, and and good footballers so I wonder if you know we see Bardet come in here he's someone who is very very highly rated um, we were writing piece on him back when he was at Lons um, and he he's, he's an exceptional football an exceptional talent one of those that his career just stalled slightly at the wrong time but there were you know big, big hopes for Loic Bardet to go on and become a, a real success, you know, a mainstay of the French national team. And that's saying something considering the depth they have at centre-back. So for him to be at Forest is a massive coup, I think, for them. And and I'd imagine, given the fact that he's now had two weeks pretty much to settle in and um, make that kind of permanent deal on, on deadline day, uh, something where he can feel comfortable, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he starts in this game. And he's a very, very good footballer. So, this, I think, is is their big advantage. Having had a little bit more time to work together to try and bed this squad together, because it is going to take time and it is going to be difficult, um, it, it is something that they can look to as, as a positive ahead of this game. And if anyone can mishmash a squad you know, of disparate parts together, Steve Cooper is a pretty good bet, considering his work with the unders levels for England, you know, where players are coming and going from different age groups all the time and you're having to kind of mould a squad out of parts that are continuously moving. If anyone could do this, Cooper's, a, you know, Cooper's would be my bet to make it work. We just got to hope that the kind of settle, settling down period hasn't finished yet, I think, in, in this one. And that, you know, maybe that it doesn't. And, and ultimately, 
this is an owner who has form for being impatient and when things aren't going his way, making drastic changes around the football club in order to try and make it work. And I do worry a little bit for Steve Cooper that if he doesn't make this work quite quickly, he might be given the axe. And I think that would be a desperately desperately poor move from Forrest's perspective um, because this is a very, very difficult task trying to make all these players gel um, and trying to fit everyone in. We talked about it on ranks occasionally. You know, the fact that Forrest feel like they've built a Europa League squad in terms of depth without having the amount of fixtures that they need to keep everybody happy. And I think that's a worry. I think that's a concern for them because there are going to be players who are like, hang on, I came in having been sold a dream here and I'm not getting the minutes that I was promised. And, you know, we haven't seen much of the likes of Emmanuel Dennis, who moved for Watford as a big kind of, you know, money move. He was courted by a lot of Premier League clubs, including Fulham for, for a while. Um, and obviously was given assurances at Forest that he was going to be part of this, you know, part of this side and part of this lineup. And ultimately that hasn't quite come to fruition yet. And 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 it's going to be interesting to see how things develop over the course of of this kind of season how they make this work because there's a lot of players to keep happy here and Steve Cooper's got a hell of a job in his hands. Peter then from a Fulham perspective such a massive opportunity for us to get ahead of steam on a side that is 100% a relegation rival currently four points ahead of them a win would mean that's now a gap up to seven points uh, between ourselves and a relegation rival and we've got nice fixtures coming up so a, a win would be just huge opportunity for us we've got our own injury problems we've got our own signings to potentially bed in as well um We'll find out about the fitness of Anthony Robinson, um, possibly even by the time you, you listen to this podcast, because Marcus Silva's doing his press conference tomorrow. So really, the, the big questions of how we line up are left back and then on the wings, really, because everything else pretty set in stone. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much the rub of it. Whether maybe more changes could come after the, the Tottenham game, it'd be a harsh one because just because of the nature of the game. I mean, it was all it tilted completely on the situation at left back and, and Kevin and Barber on that side who didn't look particularly comfortable there um, and just left the team pretty imbalanced so um, whether that then leads to changes I'm not so sure I think you're right about wide areas um, I think Bobby Decadoverid and Niskan Skaban have done very well I don't think there's any reason necessarily to to drop them coming into this game but you know with, with Dan James having a couple of weeks under Silva he's already done a pre-season obviously with Leeds and he's ready to go uh, Willian coming in from mid-season, again a player who's sort of ready to go. Um, that's that'll be a really interesting competition. Um, whether you know, I, I anticipate that you know, considering how much momentum, well, the need for Forest to do something that they will try and take the game to Fulham, and if Fulham are going to be, you know, that counter-attacking team and a, a complete contrast to what their last visit to the City Ground, um, then having someone like Dan James who can exploit a relatively slow defence, unless, as Jack says, they do make those changes at the back, um, could be a real asset. So uh, I think there's questions. I think left-back's the obvious one. I think we presume Levin Kazawa comes in, providing he's fit enough. Um, and uh, if, if Fulham can have that balance in the back four, then, then it'll be good. Obviously, it's a, this will be the first time the back four will have been disrupted. Uh, well, I guess you can conclude most of the Spurs game, but... From the get-go, um, this is a, a disruption to a back four that's been praised consistently. So that'll be an interesting one to see how they how they how they cope. And Jack uh, Forrest play a three at the back uh, with wing backs um, system. We know all about Nico Williams's threats going forward. Um, how do you think Fulham will look to stifle? Um, the style of play because we've had kind of like mixed results when it's the when it's the three at the back wing backs that we play against. Um, you know, we've had games where we've really really done well, but obviously it can sometimes also be the antithesis to how Fulham play. Yeah, I mean, it, it all depends on on how they set up. Obviously, we struggled a lot against Spurs as wing backs, but we we kind of talked a bit on the podcast afterwards about how high they played and you know how how much they forced Fulham backwards. And you look at compare that to to kind of Brentford, the Brentford game where we pinned Brentford in first half when they were using full back uh, wing backs and they weren't basically able to get out. Um, I, I think is it, it makes for an interesting contest. Uh, ultimately, formations are important and styles are important here, but Equally, I think it's more about how this game state flows. And and when, when Fulham are in the ascendancy, 
we tend to be good against teams who play three at the back because it allows our wingers to get into spaces outside of um, outside of those kind of cent- cent- wide centre backs, if you will, um, and 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 get the balls into dangerous areas for Mitrovic. And so, so if we're if we're going forward, I think we can cause problems. It's just a question of dealing with their wing backs. It's something we struggled a fair bit with against Spurs. And if Nico Williams and Renan Lodi are, are going to push high, which you'd imagine they might, um, it, it's something that we have to deal with in a defensive sense, but also leaves opportunities for for us to to hit teams on the thrust and and ultimately I think it's something that with this level of quality that Fulham have right now it's something we can probably look to take advantage of yeah and I'm very excited for my first trip to the city ground um I felt like for recent years, it's always been on an annoying day where I can't get to the city ground. It always seems to be moved as well. It very rarely seems to be um, Saturday, three o'clock. Obviously, it's been moved to Friday, this one. But yeah, hugely excited for uh, a trip up to Nottingham. Uh, seems like one of the more kind of picturesque grounds to uh, to go to. So I'm, I'm hugely excited for for a for a trip up to Nottinghamshire. Anyway, right, we'll take a break there. Afterwards, a couple of questions and then a couple of this will catch on. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack and Peter. Time for a couple of questions then. This one from John D. Uh, obviously with... Um, Graham Potter moving to Chelsea. Brighton has an incumbent uh, manager's position. Uh, I saw something about Adam Lallana might be like looking after the team this weekend. I'm not sure if that's true, but I, I saw that on uh, Instagram, um, which is quite a move. Don't imagine that's a long-term option. JD asks, Brighton, established for five years in the Premier League, strong and stable recruitment policy, understand their position in the Premier League hierarchy and now pushing on from mid-table for a European place. Given his prior form, leaving promoted Watford for Everton, would a potential move to Brighton be sufficient to turn Silver's head? I said this in Fulhamish's community in the Telegram. I was like, I'm I'm panicking unnecessarily here, aren't I? Um, that Silver would be tempted by that job. I was told not to worry, Sammy, and uh, just to just to take a chill pill. Um, but I don't know. I've, I feel like I've heard stupider things, Peter. But it doesn't seem to be too many rumours linking Silver with the incumbent Brighton job. So hopefully we're we're okay. Yeah, I think Brighton have kept their cards close to the chest so far um, in terms of recruitment. I mean, I think if you're any coach and you look at Brighton, and in the same, that's what I was talking about Steve Cooper. I know Steve Cooper's been linked to, to the Brighton job. Um, it, really, it is a really appealing job because because of their track record, the way they, they're run and um, their recruitment and the way they've done things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 should, it, should, it should attract the attention of a lot of managers. Um, you know, I, I'd be surprised if Marco Silva decided to leave Fulham in the position that they're at, considering how they've the players that they've got at their disposal and, and recruitment and the setup and the way things are going at the moment. But um, you can never say never with anything, I suppose. But um, yeah, um, interesting one because obviously, you know, Brighton had reached a level where you know they were regarded as one of the best teams in the league. Now, you know, people thinking not just top half, but more than that. Um, whether they'll be able to sustain that, whether the the games that they have. Whether they'll be the same force will be really interesting to see, and whether whether the Potter effect will be a, a net positive for Chelsea, but uh, a net negative for, for Brighton as well. I think it's just too much of a gamble for Silver to take. It doesn't doesn't make huge amounts of sense at this point. I I would say you know yes, Brighton are um, currently a more established Premier League club than Fulham and, and a more stable one, but I'd say the stature of the two teams in the game is not all that dissimilar, which I don't think is the case between Watford and Everton. You know, for all Everton's woes, they remain a huge club, you know, a major, major force and, and one with huge amounts of history and uh, rabid fan base attached to them. I don't think that's the case between Fulham and, and Brighton. I would say that the two clubs are probably more similar than, than we'd, we'd maybe like to admit at times. Um, and, and that they, they, they kind of operate in, this, in a similar bubble, which I don't think is true for Watford and Everton, even if it wasn't a, a particularly smart move in terms of a footballing sense from, from Marco Silva. You know, you've also got to bear in mind the fact that Watford are famous for you know, sacking managers consistently and therefore taking a job at what seemed like a more stable role 
seems more sensible. Now, I'm not saying that Fulham aren't because we've had our we've had our own dalliances with with being a little bit axe axe quick, but. Ultimately, I think we we have a kind of an element of stability at the club at the moment that Marcus Silva seems to have bought into. I think the influence of of Luba Morte shouldn't be over, uh, underestimated here as well. Someone who is obviously very very close to Silva and has the club very very close to his heart. I think that that has makes a factor. And we spoke about this when Silva joined. You know, and we we talked about the fact that he was a little bit um, jump happy and what what would be different this time around. And we spoke about. Bomota's influence and I, I think that stands to this day I, I don't think this is a, a gamble that he would think is probably worth taking even if Brighton were were looking to him which I don't think they are okay well we can uh, relax but certainly one that came to mind it's probably one that sadly when you support any team that's not a big six team, the price of success and Brighton have literally found it out within a few matches um, this season. The price of success is that the vultures come swooping. It, it will, if Fulham have a good season and I can't think of anything better than Fulham having a good season. I can't think of anything better than Mitrovic having a good season, but we will spend the whole of next summer worrying about is someone going to sign Mitrovic? Is someone going to poach silver? Because it is naturally just what happens when you are our place in the food chain, particularly when you're in the Premier League. And so uh, enjoy the success, but it does come um, with those kind of consequences, unless you really can hit the success of getting something like the Champions League, in which, and even then, you look at Leicester, they won the league and they got gutted. Um, it, it, it just naturally happens unless you can be consistently successful or have an awful lot of money like someone like Newcastle does. Uh, final question. Uh, I like this one from Tom Burrows. He says, hi lads, love the podcast. My birthday is on Thursday. Well, happy birthday, Tom. He says, Mitro's birthday is on Friday, same day as the Forest match. My question is quite simple. What are we getting the great man for his birthday? Well, we're uh, not getting him anything. He's getting us a hat trick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we get him a hat trick. He's going to be 28, Jack. Uh, what would you buy Mitrovic for his birthday if, uh, uh, if you could give something to him? Oh, what a great question. What do you buy? A man on fire, fire extinguisher. <laughs> I saw that he got a, a shirt given by the club, by the way, for a uh, hundred goals, which was nice. So did yeah. Tom, Tom Kenny got one for 250 appearances, which was which very was nice. nice. They were beautifully presented as well. It was very, very good stuff from behind the scenes at the club, actually. Um, I don't know. What, what would I buy? Mitrovic, just buy some shackles and just chain him to chain him <laughs> to Mosma Park. Only let him out on match days. Peter, uh, have you got any gifts? Maybe a great article or something you could, um, maybe you should offer to write, um, ghost write his, his autobiography. autobiography. That'd be a good vibe. What, for free? Yeah. 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 Sure. As long as you All the great it. content he's given you, I think the least you can do is ghost write his autobiography. Every second article you write has to be about Alexander Mitrovic. I mean, I'm the Alexander Mitrovic correspondent at the moment. So yeah, <laughs> go for it. Absolutely. As long as we can serial it on The Athletic, then uh, all good. What we, could buy, what we could actually buy him, but obviously it's too late now, is we should have bought him a, like a big old TIFO, shouldn't we? And like held it up at the game. Like a, like a massive one, yeah. Like a big good. panner in the away end. That would have been nice. But it's still not too late. It's still not late. It's a bit late, mate. I was like, I spent, <laughs> lucky enough to spend some time wandering around different places and, and seeing how their ultras work and banners and stuff get made like six weeks before the game. Like the big oh, right. one. It's too late for Friday, but it's not generally too late for some sort of Alexander Mitrovic TIFO, just generally. No, that is true. Maybe just we have a massive one at the, the cottage. Just yeah. drape oh. it over the hammy end yeah. for every game. I'd love to see it happen. Right. Get at me on Twitter. Let's make a, let's make a gigantic, let's paint a gigantic Mitrovic TIFO. Yeah, we were in Bishop's Park one Saturday. In Bishop's one Park, yeah. There's one... an international break coming up. We've got nothing to do next Saturday. Bang, so... let's do it. Okay, we're going to paint Mitro Tifo. Right, a couple of this will catch on before we finish. Uh, the feature is back in our lives. Um, I've had a few more uh, in the inbox, but as ever, send your emails for the Thursday Club or send your this will catch ons to hello at fullamish.co.uk. This first one is from Jeffrey Landrum. It says, hello, Fullamish podcast. I hope you're all well. Attached is my submission for this will catch on. He does the explaining in the clip itself. Hello, folks at the Fulhamish Podcast. My name is Jeffrey. I live in the United States. I have something I'd like to submit for This Will Catch On. I was inspired by Jao Polina's 
brilliant header yesterday against uh, Brent Fart. Um, and if you're familiar at all, I don't know if uh, Surfing Bird is uh, at all caught on over there in the UK, but uh, it's real simple. And it's for Jao Polina, and it goes like this. Mm jow jow pop up 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 You get the idea. Love the pod. Keep up the great work. Come on, you whites. That's one of the best ever. That's one of the best ever. Thank you so much. That is absolutely sensational. That's made my day. Oh, my. Oh. I might catch on. Simple enough. Yeah, <laughs> it might. <laughs> <laughs> that is excellent. Um, that, that's made me really happy. Thank you, Jeffrey. You need some kind of like Poznan style movement to go with it. Yeah, like you want a little shuffle to the or... right and then a shuffle yeah. to the left. Like they do, yeah. People just spinning around on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Can't wait to hear that one, Forrest. Oh, brilliant, God. brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! Ten out of ten, Jeffrey. Absolutely loved it. That that is <laughs> that has honestly lightened up my lightened up my week. Never mind my day. That is absolutely sensational. Thank you, Jeffrey. Uh, I think he said that in a couple of weeks ago, as you could tell from um, obviously his Brent fart um, uh, reference uh, in there. Everything um, about that was just glorious, wasn't it? Final one uh, from Peter Zampa. Uh, the caption of the email is this will likely not catch on. He says, hi gang, heard your plea for more. This will catch on entries. So I figured I'd toss one in there for my fellow American. Been thinking for years that something to the tune of come on Eileen uh, would work great in a supporters section. Hoping to head to the cottage for the Man United match in November before Anthony and Tim in brackets. Yes, Tim head to Qatar. Pod is a must listen each week. Keep up the great work. Best from DC. And that's from Peter. So let's hear Peter. I wonder where this is going. (laughs) Come on, Tim Ream. He captains our team. His hair is a dream. Come on, Tim Ream, come on, Tim Ream, comes from the USA, Tim Ream, from the state of Missouri, Tim Ream, RL the statesman, do-do-do-do-do, Tim Ream, comes from the USA, Tim Ream, from the state of Missouri, Tim Ream, RL the statesman, do-do-do-do-do. Come on, Tim Ream, he captains our team. His hair is a dream. Come on, Tim Ream, come on. <laughs> I really like the forced verse of Missouri into an A sound. <laughs> That's really made me happy. Missouri. Uh, Missouri. Yeah, very good. Very yeah, good. I, I like I, that a lot. Yeah, I, really, I thought two just great this will catch ons. Um feel like we need a few from the Brits. Feel like the Americans are uh, are carrying this will catch on. They very the much moment. are. That was exceptional too, actually. I really yeah. enjoyed both of those a lot. It was a very good a cappella uh, rendition as well, and I enjoyed the change of tempo um and everything in there. So it was a it was a well worked this will catch on. Considering we can't keep anything in time, I feel like it would be a real struggle trying to get people to slowly speed up a chorus of come on Tim Ream. But you know, weirder things have happened, as Peter said earlier in the pod. I saw the Ajax fans at Liverpool last night uh, singing Three Little Birds beautiful, after wasn't the it? game. Um, beautiful, but I was just trying to imagine how the Fulham fans would absolutely butcher that if we tried to uh, sing a full rendition of uh, Three Little Birds. Six times faster than, than expected. Just everyone's like, let's get this really fast as soon as we can. Like, no, just, you know, enjoy it. Hold the notes. But it was a really lovely rendition. Thank you for this a catch-ons. Hello at fullamish.co.uk if you want to send in any more. There's an international break coming up, so plenty of time uh, for us to play some of your chants. Right, that'll do for the podcast today. Um, podcast name, how about this? Uh, from our very own uh, Drew Heatley, uh, he suggested 11 versus 11,000 um, for, uh, for the game against uh, Nottingham Forest. Oh, I see. They're players. I, I was trying to work out what the capacity of the city ground was. No, um, no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. That's very good. Um, don't wait a minute, but good. Very good. Okay. Uh, I thought that was a nice one for the podcast name today. Uh, thank you very much to my guest, Jack Collins. Thank you, Sammy. It's always a pleasure. And Peter Rutzler.
No, thank you, Sammy. Thank you for having me on. Uh, we will be back on Sunday evening. I guess the podcast will probably be out Monday morning. Looking back at that Forest game, which happens on Friday. Um, so have a lovely weekend. We head up to the city grounds. Can we get our third win of the season? Our first away win of the season. It would be absolutely glorious if we can. If you're going, enjoy. If not, uh, enjoy watching from home. Uh, until the next podcast, come on, you whites. You whites. Knockout, Anthony Knockout. But you can call me Tony. I will sprint 80 yards just to win a throw-in. Do you like that, baby? So much passion. I do it for the fans. We, I need slot for you. I kiss the badge for you Oh, chante Jean Up the cloud Les passions me chantent Do, do, do Knockout Oh, knockout You can call me Tony Knockers So much passion I put Vaseline on my legs So that I can knee slide Harder for longer. I do it for the fans. A petty Frenchman. I kiss the badge for you. Oh, chante. Jing of the crowd. Les passions me chantent. Du, du, du. I am way more than just a sexy, stocky Frenchman. I'm a merchant of passion. I'm just waiting on that contract extension. Do the right thing, Tony. Make it permanent. I rile up the builders after me and Cap switch. And do you know why? I do it for the fans at the cottage. I kiss the badge for you. So much passion. I cup my ears for you. Oh, chante. Jing up the fans. Les passions me chantent. Du, du, du.